Welcome to episode number three of the Holistic Musicianship Podcast with classically trained singer Andrew Fuchs. Hello there, and thank you for listening today. To kick off the show, I'd like to invite you to the online intentional practice circle I've begun offering for musicians of all skill levels. The circle is a video call designed to support each other's musical growth and increase the consistency, focus, and effectiveness of our practice sessions. It begins with a brief guided meditation to ground ourselves, and we each set an intention for what we'd like to work on and how we'd like to show up during the practice session. We then mute our computers and practice in our own space for 45 minutes. So we're all practicing on our own, but we're also all practicing together, which creates a really powerful sense of support. And at the end, we come back together for 5 to 10 minutes, and anyone can share what they learned or any connections they made. It's been amazing to see how being in the space together breeds some very potent and focused practice. We'd love to have you if it resonates for you. And you can find out more details about the Intentional Practice Circle at www.holisticmusicianship.com. In today's interview, we'll be speaking about the power of physical, mental, and emotional self-care as a musician. My guest will also share a whole bunch of tips and tools for maximizing our vocal potential and for working through challenges with performance anxieties, insecurities, jealousy, and the physical demands of being a musician. My guest today is Andrew Fuchs. Andrew is a classically trained tenor based in New York City who works as both a soloist and ensemble singer. Especially passionate about performing the music of today, Andrew has premiered many works from concert pieces to chamber operas, His wide-ranging repertoire also includes an abundance of early music, most notably the works of Monteverdi and his contemporaries. I first saw Andrew performing with the Grammy-nominated quartet New York Polyphony in a cathedral in New York City. The acoustics were just magnificent, and the group was singing classical spiritual pieces in several different languages. As I closed my eyes and experienced the music, it felt to me like the sounds of angels singing, like the sounds that would greet you as you stepped up to the pearly gates of heaven. It was a marvelous listening experience, and Andrew's talent was immensely clear to me. I'm very, very grateful that he's here to share with us today. And so without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce to you Mr. Andrew Fuchs. All right, Andrew. Well, welcome. Thank you so much for being here with us today. My pleasure, Jack. Happy to be here. Um, I'd love to begin by just asking you about how you started looking into your musicianship more from a holistic place. Sure. After I finished school and was performing full time, I noticed that I was getting blocked, not all the time, but there were like with some frequency. And I wasn't sure kind of how to get myself unstuck in those moments. And I had this wonderful mentor who was a voice teacher who I would see once every few months, but she was just a really supportive person in my life. Uh, And she recommended some Alexander work. 
uh, to kind of help me through this. And she also was the first voice teacher who really, who I felt really spoke about the body in a way that resonated with me. It wasn't just um, like, here are some physical rules that we should be following, you know, ribs out, blah, 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 blah. There was more of a, of a playful curiosity nature with it that really spoke to me. So when I would sing for her, occasionally she would incorporate these body awareness techniques in with the vocal technique. And it was like this whole other world of awareness opened up. I think that's a really interesting point around really focusing on the whole of your body. I think a lot of times people have this mentality of, well, I have to work on my voice. Yeah. But to realize actually your instrument is the whole body rather than just your vocal apparatus. Yeah, I mean, we are so focused on these two tiny little vocal cords in our throat, you know, Um, and a lot of our vocal exercises, everything kind of points to those little things that are so easily influenced by your whole body as your instrument, as you said. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Like, I'm a guitar player, so I have, like, my instrument is external to me. Um, and it has a body and a neck and this and that, but when you're a singer, your whole body is your, like you are the instrument. Yeah. So how, how would you say that that affects your experience as a musician being your instrument? I mean, on the, on the positive side, it's quite exciting when you can feel your whole body, like head to toe becoming part of your art, right? Um, you can feel it resonate in certain spots in your body, physically deep within yourself, which when that happens is, it's really exciting and it makes you feel, makes me feel anyway, very full. Uh, but on the other, on the other hand, it can be a little frustrating because uh, those little, little kinks in your system can all accumulate to have uh, a large effect that might not be a, a wanted <laughs> result, you know? Uh, If your neck's a little out of place or if you're nervous and your breath gets tight, I mean, then it's going to set you up for a harder time to do what you are setting out to do. Yeah, I think that's really interesting how rather than just kind of physical things being a little bit off kilter, there's also, you mentioned, like, if you're feeling nervous, that's going to affect it as well. So there's this emotional factor that influences your instruments as well. Of course, of course. I think that's the biggest piece of the puzzle. You know, if you're if you're not in a place of calm, collected groundedness, you might have some success kind of fighting your way out of it physically. But I think you're going to have the biggest chance for success if you are if you start from that calm, quiet place, um, which is hard to find if you are, you know, in front of an audience or in a high pressure situation or if you just don't feel good that day. I mean, there are so many variables, but optimally, I think we are at our best when we are in a, in a safe, cool place. Yeah. I think that's something that so many of us as musicians strive for. And then we feel all of these waves of just nervousness and fear and anxiety and all of these things wash over us. And we're like, Oh, I I just want to be calm. I want to feel like clear and safe and this and that. Could you share a little bit about your experience with anxiety and performance anxiety and how you go about dealing with that for yourself? Yeah, this is a big, yeah, it's a very common issue with all of us, right? And I think two big things really help determine my level of performance anxiety, and that's preparation 
and my health. Like if I know that I know my music inside and out, if I've worked on it, if I've practiced it and it feels like it's in a really good place, then that's one big issue that I don't think will be a factor in my anxiety in a performance. Um, if I don't know it very well, if there hasn't been enough rehearsal time, uh, then that's that's one part of the puzzle that that you can kind of take care of yourself. You have control if you've practiced enough, if you have spent enough time with the music. And also health. If I don't feel well, if I'm like a little sick or allergy, like that, unfortunately, I don't have a lot of control over. And that can be a big factor in my overall anxiety with a performance. We're never going to have perfect vocal days. Like you might have a few a year and you probably aren't going to be singing on those days. So kind of, you know, working with what you have in the moment and deciding if you're really really ill like maybe it's best to not perform that day and it's that's going to be fine like no one's going to there's not it's not an emergency usually uh so those are kind of the two big parts that that I feel have a big play in anxiety I, mean, I have a lot of other ideas that I kind of help me get through like little nerves that I find helpful like usually my anxiety if I'm if I'm nervous about a performance it kind of manifests in a kind of disconnected, cloudy, fuzzy mental space where I'm kind of in this trance of like, I'm nervous. I don't know what's going to happen. It feels very kind of amorphous in a way. Um, and that trance just kind of spirals into like self-worth issues, like the chatting, chatting brain starts to happen. So I try to get myself out of that by finding a physical sensation that I can lash onto, whether it's just breathing through my nose and physically feeling the air coming in and out of my nostrils or paying attention to my ribs and how they move when I breathe, just trying to find something that's tangible in a way that can bring me back to like the, the real world from this kind of mental haze mm. that comes with just being distracted and, and nervous before a performance or even a rehearsal. Uh, yeah, to find something physical to bring you back to yourself, I think is like a big step one for getting over some some jitters. Mm, yeah, because it has this really grounding effect, perhaps. Yeah, it just makes something physical that you can feel. Sure, I can relate very much to the experience of the mind just, you know, becoming so like oriented on just like every little detail and this and that and the perfecting and the and just the future tripping, like the anticipation yeah. of I'm going to mess up or what yeah. happens. And yeah, it's always the negative stuff, right? You're never like, oh, that's going to go so well. Or, I'm going to nail that high note. It's always like the uh, the negative aspect that we get caught up in. Absolutely. And it, and it does seem to take us out of being able to really just communicate what we're there, what we're there to connect to. Yeah. So really, really great pieces of uh, advice as far as connecting back to the body remembering that really is your instrument so i imagine when as a singer you can connect back to your body yeah your, in your instrument itself that could make a profound effect yeah you have to come back to yourself before you can perform before you can project to the audience what you're trying to get across and also i will add that something for me that i find to be very helpful in performing is is actually like connecting to my audience i want to look them I want to look them in the eye. I want to find out like my, there's always a handful of people in the crowd who are so engaged and 
smiling or just any kind of person to person connection that's out there as a singer where I'm like using my eyes to convey my message, I think is really helpful. I know that, I mean, I was always taught in school, like in an audition situation or performance, you know, just look above their heads, look to the back wall, don't look at them, makes them feel uncomfortable. But that's so isolating as a performer. I think it, it all of a sudden closes off your connection to them, which it might be a little scary at first if you haven't done it a lot, but it really brings me a lot of joy to really be with them as we're going through this performance. To know that they're there rooting for you, of course, is like an is a common like uh, piece of advice for handling nerves. But I think to really to go farther and to really connect with them, even just physically with a look, um, I think that's a really important part of the puzzle. Mm. You know, I wonder if we we were more able to look at ourselves in that kind of way with that support of oh, empathetic, of you know, encouraging manner. I mean, that would. That could turn the tables for a lot of people. Of course. I don't know about how it works, you know, when you're practicing, but using a mirror uh, as a singer is really helpful, of course, because you can see external things that maybe you aren't, you can't feel in the moment. But uh, yeah, it's always like, uh, it takes some pushing to practice in front of a mirror because it's a bit scary and vulnerable. But when you do it and you really connect with yourself, I think you learn a lot (laughs) that way. (laughs) Sure. One thing I've noticed uh, performing and singing and singing and playing guitar uh, songs for an audience is that I often have a feeling of not wanting to make eye contact or connect with the audience. And I feel like I sort of want to hide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've done, I've been trying to do a lot of work on that to be able to meet my audience more because I think it does create a much more connecting and a more powerful performance. So I wonder any advice for cultivating that definitely practicing in the mirror sounds like a good piece of it but anything as far as not you know working on not having to hide so much or feel like you have to disappear in front of the audience so much I mean I guess you could start with like day-to-day interactions and being more mindful about your connection with people like if you're I don't know ordering a coffee at a counter or whatever just to kind of start embracing those little things i have a feeling that most performers probably do i mean most people i think probably do connect with fellow humans in a way that is different from how they perform so that might be a good starting step but in performance i think you just have to do it it's really hard to recreate that situation outside of that arena you know so just take some chances and try it as a singer you know we have words usually sometimes you don't you have maybe a a sound of a vocalese or something, but there's usually a text or a poem that you want to get across. And that's where, that's what helps me connect with them because I make it a point to think that this text that I'm trying to sing is essential for them to understand. And how can I, with the greatest intention, get those words across to them in a way that they know how I feel about the text and that maybe they can think about what it means to them. So... Hmm. I think that's also a helpful way to connect with them is to use the words to really, yeah, link, like physically link us from my mouth to your ears, you know? I really like that. And one thing I'm really heavy, heavily into is it not being so much of a, I'm the performer over here and you're the audience over there and creating a split, but rather creating 
a, a oneness of sound and connection and uh, an experience for all to share in. Yeah, I think that's a big problem with how people perform these days. You know, it's it's kind of an it can be an exclusive art form. It's not everyone's comfortable with it or knows much about it. And I think the more open and, and connected we can be with our audience, the more likely they will be to come to another concert or to look up that composer they had never heard of or support us in that way. Beautiful. Another big question that I wanted to ask you is around physical challenges that can start to arise. Can you share a little bit about uh, any physical challenges you've experienced as a singer? Yeah, let's see. I mean, for sure, just like general postural deficiencies, maybe, or unawareness. Uh, that Those can really lead to kinks in your body that uh, inhibit your flow. I'm not always aware of them in the moment. I'm becoming more aware of them as I practice more of my own body work and my kind of holistic journey in that sense. But I think it's important to always keep your whole self in mind as often as you can uh, when you're performing. I even in my scores will write little notes like neck or swallow or feet or just little verbal cues that bring me back to like, oh, okay, don't forget your body in this moment because if you are disconnected and are experiencing discomfort or feel out of line or out of sorts, uh, it has a, it takes a toll on your, on your instrument for sure. And have you experienced that your physical challenges and your emotional challenges are linked in any particular way? Yeah. And I think they can feed off each other. <laughs> it's like, if I feel, uh, I feel out of sorts or if I'm, kind of caved in with my body, you know, then the flow's not happening, my energy gets low, uh, and that can start to influence how I feel about myself. It's like if you are, if your external self is closing down, I feel like that has a pretty direct link to kind of your emotional health as well. You might, becoming, you might become more shy or um, less open to the experience or more clued into around, less clued into what's going on around you if you kind of start shutting down. And I find that happens with me just from a physical stamina place. I have a long concert. I sing a lot of uh, ensemble choral stuff and you're standing in one place usually holding a folder, maybe holding a very heavy score. If it's a long, you know, if I'm doing a St. Matthew Passion, that score is not light. And it's a lot of standing and just the physical toll that can take can kind of start to, to bring you down and in or, or all of a sudden you'll find yourself in a weird position. It's like, how did I get here? Like, why is my left shoulder, you know, four inches higher than my right shoulder? And uh, you don't always know, notice it as it's happening, but you might notice it when, it, when you get to a certain point. Sure. So really bringing an increased awareness can, can have an effect to your body can have an effect, not just on your, your physicality working better for you, but it can affect very much your emotional states or the, yeah. the challenges that get in the way. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that sometimes if I, if I do feel like I've kind of closed down emotionally and physically, if I just really with great intention, try to open my body up and just breathe that that will usually change my emotional state as well. 
Interesting. Do you feel that as a guitarist? Because I you do. Are, I mean, you're holding something in front of you. I'm sure it's very easy to kind of come down to the instrument instead of letting it kind of feed some energy back up into you. Oh, immensely so. I've been on a, a several year journey as far as retraining my habit patterns with how I play the guitar from a place of being so collapsed down into the instrument that I ended up hurting myself really bad. I ended up with a lot of chronic wrist pain. Wow. And there were a lot of emotional pressures that were connected up with that. And of course, re retraining, uh, as, exactly as you said, beautifully said, receiving the up from the instrument and from the music and from the ground, um, as well as a number of other things, has completely revolutionized the way it feels to play the instrument, but also the sound quality, the enjoyment, the connection on a, on a spiritual level, and also an experience of being able to connect more holistically to music. Because I think when we're really locked down and in, in focused so heavily on just creating a good sound or getting all the notes right, there's no space left over to be able to think about any of these other things or deepen into the music. It's just yeah. like, play the notes right, play the notes right, play the notes right. It's 100% of the, the focus. Yeah. Which and is kind of disappointing. Of course. I think, you know, there's a place for that when you're practicing to kind of go about things in a very technical way. But uh, when you're performing, you have to trust that that work has been done. If you're in a, if you feel like you've prepared enough, that is, um, and to let go of that perfectionist, uh, that grip. Because you're right, if you are only focused on that, there isn't space to work on connection or expression. You're just kind of being proficient. Absolutely. So with musicians who are experiencing a lot of that perfectionism, comparison to other musicians, um, or feelings even of self-doubt or fear of putting themselves out there, a lot of insecurity, what could be helpful for musicians experiencing a lot of that? <laughs> oh my. Well, we all experience that, step one. Uh, I think it's really important to know that everyone goes through those battles. I don't care who you are. And if you say you don't, I have a hard time believing, <laughs> believing that. There was some story that a friend of mine told me, he was at a festival and there was a, a very like world-class, very well-known soloist who he overheard complaining about how this other very well-established soloist gets all the work. And, you know, and it's like, if, if these like stars of the singing world also, also deal with jealousy or feeling inadequate, no one's immune to those thoughts. But they're real and they have real repercussions. Those, that kind of inner voice of unworthiness or um, yeah, not good enough, you haven't done enough work, you're never going to have a career like you hoped. I mean, that's stuff that, I mean, I deal with a lot. Compare and despair, as a friend told me once. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it's well really, really true. We all have different experiences. We're all at different places in our lives. There's no way that we can compare ourselves equally to people who are doing the same job as we are, because we're all different people. Some things are easier for others. I think a lot of it, a lot of that uh, self-worth stuff can be cleared up with knowing what you're really good at and not trying to be the kind of musician that maybe isn't right for you. I mean, there's, there's so many ways to have a career as a musician. And unfortunately, 
a lot of us are only taught, you know, one or two of the main pathways. And then if you don't feel like you're succeeding in those, and it's like, well, I'd better give up or which might be a valid jolt of intuition, that's fine. But uh, to know where your assets lie, and then to try to really focus on those as a way to kind of build your confidence and, and set yourself apart from others who maybe don't have that particular skill. Yeah, I like that a lot about how music really can take so many different forms and look like so many different things for it to need to be this one particular avenue of whatever it may be and to force ourselves into that box could really limit our own creative intuition around that. Yeah, I mean, for my own story is kind of along those lines, you know, as a undergraduate singer um, in college, we were all kind of taught to, you know, have the opera track for your career. Like you go to grad school, then you go to some opera company apprenticeship, and then the Met. You know, it's, it's like a very clear, defined path that uh, my teachers, that's what they knew. They were all opera singers, and that's that was their path, and that's what they saw in their world. And there was a time when that was um, kind of one major way of doing it. But I make my career now as a freelance singer and I sing everything from solo stuff to new operas to large choir pieces to one and apart small ensemble things. I mean, there I had no idea that there were so many different ways of having a career as a singer. It took and and I will say that when I realized that I was like doing it and making a career as a freelancer uh, and not having to put the pressure on myself to sing for X, Y, and Z opera company with repertoire that I didn't really feel connected to, that I felt really sold myself the best. When I let all that crap go, it was like this huge liberation. (laughs) It was really like this huge weight was lifted off of my shoulders. Because I wasn't, I don't know. I mean, I can sing that stuff that I thought I had to do. I can sing it okay. I can sing other things much better and I can... I feel much more connected to other repertoire than what I originally set out to do. Ah, so by not going the way that you were supposed to go, you ended up finding things that you actually love that you maybe had never even realized was possible. Yeah, for sure. hundred percent. I know that I use my team a lot. I have like a small selection of very close people that I trust, you know, wholeheartedly. And they've, really helped guide me. And more than anything, they've helped me figure out how to listen to myself um, and my own intuition. And that's like invaluable experience. Yeah, it sounds like one thing that you really share a lot about is listening to your own inner truth as far as what's best for you. Yeah. And I don't think, I, I think sometimes for my, in my journey, it's taken people that I trust to help me kind of discover how to do that uh i don't i don't know if we're all able to access those inner ears super easily without having someone guide us to it but that's been the biggest kind of help for me the past couple of years has been like learning how to trust and listen to myself and to try to not care about what other people who aren't in my circle think of what I should be doing or what I am doing, but to really try to come back to my, to my circle, to myself and listen Mm. and act from a place 
uh, from from that place. Which can be a very scary thing when all of a sudden it feels, especially if what is you're hearing in your own voice maybe differs from you what you feel like is the expectation of you or the road that other people are hoping for you. But if you start to do it and it feels good and you notice little little moments of success with it, uh, then that also creates some momentum. It can, I mean, this is like a huge universal idea that we can break down and apply to like many little things musically. Even if, even I was thinking about this concept of, you know, staying with yourself, uh, not just, you know, staying in your body or with your breath, but musically, even just staying on a note for as long as it's, as it's notated, you know, as a singer, one of the things I have a hard time with is I anticipate and I, I don't give my note values their due time. And then all of a sudden I'm like skipping ahead to the next thing and the next thing. And I'm kind of losing time in a way, but I've been trying to really focus on just maximizing each note as it's written. And it's amazing. Like your body then hooks in and supports you instead of you kind of constantly like jumping from lily pad to lily pad, trying to get to the next phrase, you know, um, mm. or even staying on a vowel for as long as possible to that will help you also hook into yourself and keep you in the moment, even though we're working on a like a tiny little minute point, it's maybe it's an eighth note, but you can still stay in that moment, you know? Yes. I, I Similar. I think it's really interesting. I teach guitar and anytime I'm teaching someone time or like work with a metronome, mm-hmm. the tendency when they don't kind of know something well enough is that they always rush. Yeah. You'd think my mind would think that they would be behind it because they wouldn't be like quick enough to get it. But the tendency is to just hurry through it and they always end up getting ahead of themselves. And I yeah. think that really is an interesting uh, commentary on us as human beings is that when we're not confident, we just are move, 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 click, 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 click. Yeah. But then we're not really present, you know, and we're not giving ourselves the opportunity to, to be in the present if we're constantly flitting to the next thing. And yeah, I was, you know, when I, if I sing any kind of coloratura fast stuff, I, I tend to rush, but in my mind, I'm like, I am dragging, I'm behind. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like I'm actually the opposite's happening. Sure. And it doesn't always seem that way in our brain. Yeah. Yeah. That relationship to time is always, it's a funny thing. We can bypass it or we can kind of live in it. And if you stay in the moment, you actually have much more time than you think you did. So it's helpful. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful lesson for all of life. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I can also add something else to this, like expectation talk. If you. Uh, Of having expectations. Yeah, I was just one more thing I was thinking about with, you know, what we should think we should be doing or what others think we should be doing with expectations is that, you know, we're taught these rules as musicians, kind of technical rules or concepts that we feel like we have to do to like practice our skills every hour of the day or whatever that might be. But there comes a time when like you have to trust that those skills have been integrated into you. And I think that even comes down to how we warm up. I know that recently I've been playing with letting go of like what I feel like I have to do to be in good voice, to warm up. Here's the regimen. I have to do these 10 exercises that some teacher gave me 10 years ago instead of really getting curious about what I need, what I feel like I need that day. 
Some days you wake up, you feel great. You can sing beautifully without much warm up. Other days, maybe you're fuzzy or you didn't sleep enough and you have to do other things. But just to kind of let go of that rigid quality of music making and like being open to just figuring out what it is you need on that particular day and going from there. Mm. I think those tools can like having that regimented exercise workout can be like really helpful if you need structure, if you work from that place. But I found, I found that I've been putting less pressure on myself in warmups. If I just kind of become playful and see what my voice is doing that day and then working from there. What does a quality practice look like to you? Uh, well, I usually just do a short, like some short singing, something easy, middle voice that's not going to stress me out. And again, go start from there. If it's like, oh, I'm very fuzzy. Maybe I need to try a couple of the exercises in my toolbox that I know will help me get out of that kind of low, heavy, sloggy place. Great. Um, and yeah, even I have a couple phrases from songs that I've worked on over the years that really help me get into a good place quickly. It's, I mean, I don't, I kind of hate singing scales and those kind of rudimentary etude like things. It's, I have a hard time connecting to them. Um, but if I can sing a beautiful melody that I know gets me into a good place, I'll start there. And then when I work on whatever the task is for that day, whether it's learning a new, a new piece or polishing something for a performance, I just try to go slow and be easy on myself. And if, if things go great, then great, keep going on that wave. But if I run into problems, I, that's, when the, that's when it can get hard. It's like, that's when the self-talk comes in. Like, you had it yesterday. Why don't you have it today? The show's in two days. You know, you're never going to get it. If you can't sing it in your practice room at noon on a Tuesday, how can you do it in front of an audience? Like all these chatty, mm. chatty Cathy's chime in. So trying to become a little more removed from that <laughs> mess is helpful. And if that means like taking a break for 10 minutes or an hour and like, reading or watching a show on Netflix or like petting your cat or whatever, just to kind of clear the air to break up the thought process. Great. If you have the time to do it, that's like, that's good. That's helpful. Uh, yeah. I try to just be as playful in my practicing as I can and not think of it as work, even though it feels like that sometimes, but to try to just be curious about it and, not get ahead of myself, not end game, work with what I have that day. You know, if I'm not feeling great, if my top's not working for some reason, if I was like, I'm kind of getting sick, then like, I don't want to work on things that stress me out in that way, because all those stressors have a lasting impact. Like that's muscle memory too. You can have good muscle memory and bad muscle memory. And those bad habits can, uh, if they creep in too much, that can be really hard to overcome. So when I practice, I just try to keep it cool you know, have like an objective point of view, play it back in your mind or even use a recorder, see how things went. It's probably different than how you experienced it in yourself and, uh, and go from there. Hmm. As a professional musician, are you able to find singing and music fun and pleasurable? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, some days it feels like work. 
Uh, and there are probably, you know, many factors that lead to that. Maybe it's a less than stellar work environment or like a uninspired group that you're singing with or conductor or maybe, I don't know, it's like the level is not as high as you hoped it would be. Um, but when things are working well and you feel good about yourself and what you're putting forth, it's great. I mean, there, there are moments that I can remember that really stuck with me from kind of those transcendental musical moments where it's like you've entered another plane and it's uh, those, you can't like run around trying to recreate those things. They just happen. Mm. Um, but knowing that that's a possibility and experiencing them then when they do happen is such a, it's just an incredible sensation. And I think that's part of what keeps a lot of us coming back to what we do as artists and to, you know, power through the tough days and like maybe the less inspiring days, because we know that that's attainable and it's, it's not addictive. That's not the right word, but you want to experience it more, you know, more regularly uh, and not, not lose that sensation, that, that memory of what it feels like to really be connected to something much bigger than our little vocal cords or your guitar strings or whatever the instrument might be. So yeah, there's great pleasure to be found <laughs> um, along with like the hardships that come with it too. Mm, beautiful answer. Thank you. And would you be open to sharing with us one of your most meaningful musical experiences? Yeah. Let's see. Uh, one kind of going back to that, that kind of transcendental experience, I guess meaningful in the sense that it made me feel like being a musician has a real kind of a larger effect on us than just like performing notes. Right. Um, I was in this recording session with a quartet uh, of singers that I sub with sometimes if they do a piece that's calls for, you know, six voices, they'll bring two of us in. And we were recording this amazing Renaissance mass in this huge cathedral in Omaha, Nebraska, of all places. Um, and we had to record at night because the lights in the church that we were in created a, like a buzzing sound. Uh, and that would have affected the recording quality. So we recorded late at night with like little lamps around us. I mean, it was just like so magical and mystical. Uh, and these guys are my friends. I mean, I love them all. I feel so honored to be in their presence. Any moment that I can, when I sing with them, I just love singing with them. Actually, you heard them. It's the group that I sang with when you came to my to that concert. Oh, wow. Beautiful. Yeah. You guys create something incredible. Altogether. Yeah. It's just this, I don't know. It's like the personalities and the voices. It's really a a wonderful experience to be with them. But we were we were recording this piece in this cathedral and at one point I just like kind of came out of myself and I like looked around and I, I just felt so grateful and connected to all of them and to this piece that I mean it's just beautiful and to sing it in a space that allows for all of these you know, the acoustic was so inviting for this particular piece. I just thought, 
if everyone could experience what this feels like, I feel like the, the world would be such a different place. I mean, it really was just like, this is like next level stuff. That's been four years ago now, and it's still like so palpable. It's a moment that I relive a lot if I feel a little down about making music or if it's if it feels like work or if it's getting hard or whatever. It's like, oh my God, but... And it wasn't even a sound thing. It was just this connection and being connected to them and to the music. And I don't know, it was very special to me. Wow. That's just such a gorgeous image of you all singing together in that way. Thanks for painting that picture for us. And just to conclude here, I wonder if you'd share with us what you feel is the value of music for the world. Well, it's one of the things that like, knock on wood, hopefully never goes away through war, through like international hardship. There's, it's a constant. And I think that's very significant. As listeners to music, I think it can teach us, it can open up this door of beauty and significance that maybe we don't experience every day. It really can have a deeper, uh, like a, a deeper emotional effect that you might not know that's possible. And I think as a performer, it's this incredible privilege to be able to connect with music that's been around for centuries. I mean, it's really amazing to think that we're still performing pieces that have been performed ever since they were premiered forever ago. You know, that's just a really cool lineage to be a part of. But in a broader way, I think the connection that it allows us to make with not only audience members, but our fellow musicians and that this like beautiful, generous community that we're part of is, it's just really amazing. And I think the more good that we do in our community, the more that we're able to we can bring this gift of joy to other people who maybe really need it that day. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. It's my total pleasure. I feel very honored to be a part of this important work that you're exploring. So I hope it's helpful for whoever's out there listening. Okay. Well, thanks so much for listening. And I'm very grateful to Andrew for sharing his experience and wisdom with us today. A key idea from the interview that resonates so much for me is really getting clear about what we're trying to communicate with a piece of music and focusing on that message as we play. I've noticed that when I can do this, the music that comes out has a completely different quality than if I'm just trying to play or sing all the notes correctly. And the music seems to really permeate and move the audience on a much deeper level. If you'd like to learn more about Andrew and his upcoming performances, you can visit andrew-fuchs.com. And once again, if you're interested in joining us for the online intentional practice circle I mentioned at the top of the show, you can find more details at www.holisticmusicianship.com. For now, May your musical explorations be filled with joy and deep, deep beauty, and I'll see you next time on the Holistic Musicianship Podcast.